Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I'm Michael J. Sutton and I'm the founder and CEO of Freedom Matters Today, looking at freedom from a Christian perspective. The heart of the Christian message is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is freedom from guilt and shame, sin and death, fear and despair, past and prejudice, fascism and tyranny, and war and conflict. So we need a new approach. We need a unique voice and we need to shine light in the darkness. We have been living in dark times. That is an absolute certainty, certainly in the days of COVID hysteria the last three years. And as we shift into new forms of hysteria, in particular climate hysteria and the upcoming war with China, which our governments seem actively to support. The temptation, of course, is to wade in the mud of the political life, to navigate the filth, to uh, negotiate the garbage that comes from the state, from social media and media corporations, and from our society. That's one choice, to spend our life wading through the filth. But there are other alternatives There are other choices for us. My goal, as I said last month, is to challenge the narratives over faith, life, flag and futures by applying the identity, words and actions of Jesus to our busy postmodern lives, struggles and problems. Every generation, Christians take a good look at the current mess. And boy, we are in a mess today. Our societies are in a mess. Our culture is in a mess. Our nations are in a mess. In the West, men are not men anymore. Women are not women anymore. All the words have changed. All the terms have changed. And that was last week. Who knows what the new truth next week will be? And then the new truth the week after. We have cancel culture. We have a list of what is the permissible topics. We have a list of what what are the prohibited topics and the prohibited statements. And we have the ideas that we are not allowed to have. We have the thoughts that we are not allowed to think. And we have the beliefs that we are not allowed to hold. What a mess. That's the West today. And we're all getting ready for war with China. How this is going to play out is a mystery to me. And I just can't imagine the Chinese sitting back and watching it all happen. A nation of 1.4 billion people. Apparently they might have something to say when we invade them. So Christians are faced with this choice of whether we climb through the filth and the muck and the rubbish. That's the mess of our world today. So every generation Christians take a good look at the mess and what they do is they decide to step out in faith, listen to God, walk in the Spirit and they go to their churches and they say, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, what a mess the world is in. What do you think? The church says, sit down, shut up and do as you're told and give us your money, please. Because we have to keep the church doors open. But what about the problems of society? Now they say, oh, we don't want to talk about that. Because we work for the government. And whatever the government says, we will we will do. Whatever the government asks us to think, we will think. This isn't just today, friends. Why do you think there are so many different Christian denominations. Why do you think that it is impossible for Christians to stay in the same gathering 
it is because what happened in COVID hysteria, the nightmare of vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, and and um, and martial law. This was not the first time the church got it wrong. The church gets it wrong, usually in history, and in every single time, Christians go to their churches and they say, "Hey guys, are you going to speak out?" And the church says, "Oh no, no, keep quiet." Keep quiet. We got the money from the government yesterday. So the deal is we just shut up and we don't say anything. We keep our heads down and we hope that everything will be fine. But as long as we can protect the properties and the investments and our churches and our buildings and our traditions and our rituals and our regulations. But keep quiet. Keep quiet. And for those Christians who follow Jesus and say, but this is wrong. This is immoral. This is what this is a sin. The church says, no, 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 no. It's not a sin. No, it's not immoral. It's just it's just the way it is. Sadly, they're wrong, and history will show that they're wrong. And when they stand before God, um, the God that they don't actually believe in, they're going to get a really big shock because God is real. God is real, and we are one day to stand before God and give an account of our lives before him, what we did. And I'm sure a lot of ministers, pastors, and priests are in for a really big shock, not only for the fact that God is real, but for the fact that they didn't actually follow him throughout their lives. They were too busy protecting the property and the investments. So every generation is it challenges Christians to take a good look at the mess and then encourages us to step out in faith, listen to God, walk in the Spirit. So what does it mean to follow Jesus today in our busy postmodern life? This is the question for us and it is the focus for Freedom Matters today. In coming months we are pivoting away from the problems that face us to the solutions that God presents us. Away from the swamp, the mud and the filth, to the light, the path and the way forward. It's time to look at freedom afresh, to walk out in faith. It is time to offer a brand new narrative to our mad world, shaped by the identity, the words and the actions of Jesus. This is not to deny the reality of the swamp. This is not to deny the challenges we face, and it's not to deny the the pain we experience. What's interesting, of course, is that the Western Church loves to look to uh, uphold the example of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and say, what a great guy, standing up to tyranny, getting killed by the Nazis. What inspiration. But when fascism comes in the West, the church says, no, no, no. We have to do the opposite of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, and we need to support tyranny. Remarkable, isn't it? And then we have to uh, condemn the Chinese and say, how terrible. It's terrible what they're doing in, in Hong Kong, how the protests are going on, and the, the government is stepping in and stopping the protests of these people. Oh, it's absolutely terrible. And then at the same time, when people protest COVID hysteria, the same people say, oh, but we should stop the protests. We should send in the police. We should allow them to shoot people with rubber bullets because those naughty protesters are not allowed to protest. How wicked they are. How selfish. Putting their individual needs ahead of the greater good. The greater good, right? Condemning the Chinese and then turning around and doing exactly the same thing, which is what happened in covid and of course, we saw the same thing with the Ukraine war. After 20 years of war in Afghanistan, Iraq, sending those nations back to the Stone Age, 
setting the Taliban back generations. The Taliban are still there. They won. Condemning those nations to a time of lifetime of poverty and misery, the churches were, on the whole, completely behind the tanks and the missiles and the war machine. Supporting it 100%, very rarely criticizing it. And then as soon as the troops leave Afghanistan, the churches turn around and condemn what's happening in the Ukraine. What unbelievable hypocrites. Unbelievable hypocrites they are. Staggering. So this is the mess that we're in. But it's easy to get overwhelmed by the mess. And it's easy to be overwhelmed by the problems and the difficulties in life. And so that's why in Freedom Matters today we are pivoting towards a new focus. We're moving away from the problems that face us to the solutions. It doesn't mean we won't look at the solutions. It doesn't mean that we won't address them. And we won't condemn what's happening around the world in terms of fascism and tyranny. Uh, I do believe we are in fascism in the West. And I do believe it's only a matter of time uh, that we see uh, decline. Uh, the likes of which we have never seen before, which began in the 70s, of course, if you look for it, look at it from an economic viewpoint. That was really the beginning of the end of the American supremacy, the 1970s. And we are still living with the consequences of that time. But 40 years is not much in the time of history. Every nation has its day. Um, and if you put all your uh, eggs in one basket, then when you drop the basket, you're going to lose them all, aren't you? But we do need a new narrative and we do need a new focus. It's time to walk out in faith. It's time to offer a brand new narrative to a mad world shaped by the identity, the words and action of, actions of Jesus. For Brownstone, recently I wrote these words. St. Paul said that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is such good advice, timely advice for our times. It is time to read great poetry. It's time to delve into good stories. It's time to reflect on theatre, ponder great words, and speak about good things. We need communities of light. Gather with other like-minded people, talk, share and encourage, and let the light shine. Let us see again the freedom we have in God, and the freedom we have in life. Let's grab our candles, open the curtains, get the torches and shine that light. Down the road, uh, about 30, uh, 20 or 30 minutes, is a giant uh, tip, landfill tip, where the people of Sydney send all their rubbish. It's enormous, enormous place. A lot of things we can say about that rubbish tip. The Ibis um, often fly there. You see them in their, in their uh, squadrons, arrows through the sky with their long beaks looking for food. They love it there. It's a place where we put our rubbish. And it reminds me of sin. It reminds me of the freedom that God brings through Christ. He's come to set us free from our sin. And so we take our sin and we lay it with Jesus. We put it at the foot of the cross. And Jesus takes that sin and he takes it away. And it's gone. It's done. It's, it's dealt with by his death on the cross. It's finished. 
as Christ said from the cross, it is finished. It's not, well, this is part one of a three-part series of your miserable life. No, he says, it is done. It is finished. You are set free from sin because I stood in your place. I died for your sin so that you can live again, so that you might have new life. Now, once you've given, once that sin has been taken away, Jesus doesn't bring it back again. He doesn't dangle it in front of your face. Oh, look at the sins you've committed. These are all the wicked things you did last week. Ha, 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 ha. He doesn't do that, does he? Once it's done, it's done. It's laid at the foot of the cross. And there's no one beyond the love and the mercy of God. And there's no one beyond the grace of God found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once that sin is dealt with, once that garbage is put at the tip, it's done, it's finished. It's the same when you go to the garbage tip. You don't take your garbage to the garbage tip. And then a few weeks later, go back and look for it again and bring it home again. It's insanity. You're mentally ill if you do that. And the same for sin. We have been set free from sin because of Christ. Christ has taken that sin upon himself. He died for sin. The other thing about garbage tips is that they're always there. Our society produces garbage. It produces rubbish and filth. It produces muck and mess and in a physical term that's what we call a garbage tip landfill but metaphorically society also produces a lot of mess a lot of mud a lot of filth trump used to call it the swamp is an accurate term there will always be the swamp there will always be the darkness there will always be the misery and the mess so is that where we place our focus is that where we put our hearts and our minds and our souls no paul says that whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable think about those things have when was the last time you read great poetry like pushkin when was the last time you delved into good stories like the writings of dickens when was the last time you reflected on theater or even went to theater or the opera or some local show when was the time, last time you pondered great words and spoke about good things? My friends, we need communities of light. We need to gather with other people who are similar and like-minded. We need to encourage them. We are free people, so let's live freely. Let us create communities of light where all are welcome, where debate is normal, questions are accepted, people are brought together, and darkness is cast out. If you are not allowed to ask questions in your church, if you are not allowed to uh, debate, then leave. They are places of darkness. Jesus always accepted questions from his disciples because he could take them. God's a big God. He can handle our questions. If your local minister won't handle your questions, get out and leave. You're stupid if you stay there. But evil will always be evil. But we need not fight darkness with night. We live in the day, friends, in the sunlight, and we bask in the warmth of a bold new life free from their madness. They don't want us to look at the light. They don't want us to look at hope. They want to, they've, give, they've given us their narrative and the script that they have written for us, and they want us to follow it. They want us to remember it, and they want us to memorize it. But what we need to do is to take the script that they've given us, take the narrative that they've demanded of us, put it up to the heat in the noonday sun, and watch it crumble and turn to dust. For all evil dies, all darkness falls, and a new day is dawning.
So let us celebrate the light of God in our lives. Let us grab the candles and shine light into the darkness by building a community of light in a dark world. We need communities of light because Jesus said we are the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. All who follow Jesus are children of light, not of the dark. To be light, we need to shine. And to shine, what do we focus on? We focus on the identity, the words, and the actions of Jesus. At the heart of the good news is because of Jesus, we are free people, truly free. And we stand because one stood in our place where we could not, and he brought true freedom. We need to go back to the words of Jesus and the New Testament to rediscover what freedom, light, and truth are. And that many Christians say, say, oh, that's fine for when you come to faith, but let's move on to something else. No, my friends, that is it. We need to celebrate the identity, the actions, and the words of Jesus for the rest of our lives. This is really what the life of a Christian's about. It's not moving on to something next. There's nothing greater than to move on. Uh, there's nothing greater to move on from other than the words, the life, the actions of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the message of the gospel, the heart of the message of faith, and the heart of the message of the good news is freedom. I listed these verses last month. They're verses of such deep, profound truth when they go to the heart of the good news of God. Let me just mention a few of them today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And John 8 36, if the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. Another verse, Acts chapter 13 verse 39, through him everyone who believes is set free from sin. So today we're looking at part two of our series on how did the churches fail in COVID-19. How did the churches fail in COVID-19? Churches failed because they always do. The failure of the churches in COVID-19 was only superficial. It reflected a deeper problem. Churches cannot sustain faith. Only God can. Churches cannot create faith. Only God can. Churches cannot defend faith. Only God can. In the beginning, Everyone was the same. They all received the same spirit. They all had the same Lord. There was equality. There was the body of Christ. Everyone had a role. They were all one in Christ. Then came the church, the human authorities, the power, the creation of hierarchy, of class of priests, the hagiography, the cessation of the spirit, the closure of the Bibles, and the creation of the Mass, which was an anti-Semitic ceremony to extinguish Jewish participation in Christian communities. In every generation, Christians rose. They were converted. They came to faith in Christ. And their enemy was not the world, but the church. Or rather, the church quickly became the world. Millions were born again, were given new lives, and these lives repudiated the spiritual deadness in the church, the corruption and the abuse of power and the church murdered its way through history. The church kept people poor for a thousand years, it kept people ignorant, and for 500 years there was a great war, not against God, but a war for freedom. God is on the side of freedom. For true freedom, 
bears his stamp of authorship, and all other freedoms are echoes of the freedom that come from God. It is a war against the church. There are echoes of this war, such as the heresy of the Church of England and their non-Christian notion that the king is the representative of God on earth. God never ordained hereditary monarchs. They wrought their power through blood, conquest and death, and then claimed to be Christians after climbing over all the corpses. America created a non-religious, non-sectarian republic, as did many nations, and they were inspired by the fear that the church and its power would return. It amazes me how few Christians quickly how few Christians will will not uh, acknowledge the history that is so soaked in blood and death but has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. In every generation in the West there were new Christian movements and the church was there to kill them because they refused to accept church authority. For centuries sectarian violence raged through Europe only to be replaced by sectarian prejudice which ran out of steam in the 1960s. So that is the world we have and the world we've lived in. For centuries, the church used religious power to bring about death, misery and mayhem around the world. And when finally governments wrenched themselves free from the power of the church, the church has pivoted towards sectarian bigotry. And that brought us well up into the 1960s and 1970s. It's a remarkable history, but a tragic one. As a Christian, I read, I have read in the past books by Calvin and Luther and the Puritans and people like that. And on one hand, we have their books and their encouraging books, uh, and they do say a lot of profound things. But they are written at a time where it was quite likely that people who disagreed with them were killed or put in prison. And the politics of the Church of England, for example, between Henry VIII and his demise, and eventually uh, the um, uh, Queen Elizabeth and then um, uh, James, that period of time, a lot of good men and women who simply loved Jesus were murdered by the church and murdered by the state. And as England uh, swung like a pendulum from Roman Catholicism to uh, um, Anglo-Catholic theology of the Church of England and back again and back again and back again until it finally worked out where it wanted to be and what it wanted to stand for, thousands and thousands of innocent people had been murdered. And we read their books and we say, oh, they loved Jesus, did they? What was really going on? And then you read the books of uh, John Owen, who was a great Protestant Puritan writer, and he was chaplain to Oliver Cromwell during the Irish campaign. And we know what history says about that. There is a profound problem with many of these books, uh, because behind the great words was violence. When the killing stopped when the churches were finally defeated by the state. As the West changed, so did the church. When the killing stopped, the moralizing began. When the churches lost their power, basically at the end of the 19th century, in some parts of the early 20th century, the churches pivoted from murder to morality. They shifted from force to ideology. 
In the 19th century, you would be surprised to hear that many evangelical Christians condemned the reading of novels as a sin. Card playing was a sin. Theatre was a sin. They condemned rock music in the 1950s. People used to protest in front of rock concerts, short skirts, and alcohol was condemned in the 1930s, which led to the rise of um, Al Capone and Prohibition. Strangely enough, the churches were allowed to have their communion wine every Sunday, and it's not surprising that church attendance during the Prohibition went up. They were there to worship God, of course. Today, gay people and transgender people and others are condemned by the church. These attitudes reflect the moralism of the church, the fears of alternative sources of authority, which is basically what it's about. The church craves to be the only source of authority in your life, and that explains why, since society became more complex since the 1950s due to modernity, that churches responded by trying to become more involved in your life with youth groups, Bible studies, Sunday schools, and other activities to draw you in and compel you to go to their building. This wasn't their love of the Bible, but their love of control. Suffer the little children, said Jesus. But no longer able to kill people through their political power or force, the church effectively gave up on adults because they had a mind of their own and they could not be bought or lied to or deceived. In the old days, they just simply killed people they didn't like or disagreed with. We criticize the people of the past, but, my friends, they were not as stupid as we often think they were. The church went further by changing the gospel and promoting the new view, the new ideology that we see in the 20th century, that God has a special love for kids, that God loves kids more than he loves the rest of us, and all of our focus needs to be on the children. Partly it was strategic but also sociological, because it was the materialism of the American post-war boom that created the teenager. Leisure, as a social norm, was born in the 1950s, along with the postponement of adulthood through long educational practices. The West had changed profoundly. The middle class was born. There was no need to put kids in factories or up chimneys or down into the mines. For the first time in centuries, children were children well into what was traditionally called adulthood. So the church has stepped in and created a new theology to follow the ideology of the state and the expectations of society. In the past, kids became adults faster. They were taught social skills and economic skills sooner, but with this new ideology they were and are expected to be children as long as possible. Now we have a culture where children, when they become adults, are still encouraged to stay as kids well into their 20s and their 30s, even their 40s. But God loves all people of all ages equally. God is not a pedophile, but many in the church somehow think he is. Many in the church are pedophiles because many in society are, and there's no difference in the personal morality of those who enter a church building on Sunday and those who don't. The church through its adoption of kid-focused faith, created the myth that God was somehow especially keen on the kids. God does not love children more than he loves adults. I'm taking my kids to church so they can get a good education or they learn about Jesus, says the parents. I'll just drop them off, they say. 
Well, I'll have the sermon and give them a Sunday school where they learn about God because the most important thing is that they know about God. No, God loves everyone the same. And if there's any message that we need to proclaim today is that God does not have a special love for kids. God shows no partiality, says Peter and Paul and Jesus, nor does he prefer one age to another. He is God, and the Holy Spirit moves where he wants to move. He doesn't listen to us, but he listens to Christ. But churches in the post-war era saw this floating mass of kids as a financial opportunity because fewer and fewer adults went to church. So the response was to go after the kids, get them into church, get them into Sunday school, teach them good morality, turn them into good little Christians. The Western churches put children up on a pedestal and elevated them as society did and began to worship them as society does. Most churches in the West today worship the young and they present God as being unnaturally interested in kids. He isn't. The Bible rarely sees the young come to faith. Rarely. Samuel was an exception. He was a prophet and probably a young man at the time. David was not a toddler when he came to faith. Kids do not wrestle lions or kill giants. He's a young man, mate, and not a kid. Churches have modern music and they have rock music and kids programs and so on. And now they're getting into the schools to educate them about Jesus, to teach them about Jesus through the school system. But most people come to faith in the ordinary situations of life. And most people come to faith uh, in positions of responsibility. Fathers, mothers, leaders, workers and so on. And that's one interesting thing, isn't it? That most of the people who do come to faith are people who are not only responsible for themselves. They are responsible for others. Responsible for the lives of others and the hearts of others as well. Faith is not about age. It's about trust and the simple trust in God that is similar to the trust children have in parents. No children come to faith in the New Testament. Where are these converts? They simply don't exist from the pages of the Bible. So why is the church obsessed with children? Sadly and tragically, by bringing children into the spotlight, the churches were also serving them up on a silver platter for child molesters, who then rushed into the church to have their fill. And that created the mess we're in today. Now many churches are spending all their time defending child molesters and hoping to reduce the compensation payouts to the victims. What a tragedy. They did nothing to protect the children, and now they're doing their best to punish the victims. What a mess. The church is also to blame for the culture war. Churches not only went after kids, but also education. They saw the answer in education because there are so very few genuine converts these days. They need money to keep their institutions alive. Most churches want to get involved in education. It's a pity they don't spend the same time and money obeying God and preaching the gospel. Once again, the church gets it wrong. God does not work, especially through schools. You cannot educate faith. God's spirit is like the wind. He comes and goes where he pleases. It is only the spirit who knows the mind of God. And the spirit does what he wants. It's the same with the gospel. Same with God. The gospel is free. It has no price tag. That's a very important point to make. The gospel is free. It has no price tag. So religious schools should be pretty cheap. 
but they're not, are they? Churches that place a premium on the gospel for kids are sinning against God by placing a monetary requirement to hear the gospel. And the value that kids hear is that the gospel costs money. It's a strange thing to teach children. It astounds me that many Christians cannot see it at all. They cannot see how their expensive religious schools are the opposite of Christian values. You cannot serve both God and money, says Jesus. And the churches love their money, and they love putting a price tag on education where they claim the kids can know the gospel, which is free. But if you try to force God onto people, you will end up with morality and dead faith. And that's the best the churches can do these days. Which brings us to the work culture, whatever that is. These days, the church is having apoplexy over what they call this work culture. But the reality is, as I said before, that the church is responsible for starting the modern culture war by their moral crusade against a world that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the world will persecute you. The world will stand against the gospel. The world will reject the message of grace. He said that 2,000 years ago. It should not be a surprise to you that the world around you is not a Christian one, that the world around you rejects Christ. But the astonishment of the American Christians in the 1980s who were astonished that, oh my goodness gracious me, we live in a godless society. Well, welcome to the human race. But it started in the 1980s in America with the so-called moral majority movement and these leaders who spread the message that politics needs to be the vehicle for forcing Americans to become Christians and forcing America to become a Christian nation. These guys had little, little understanding of the gospel and even less understanding of the difference between their faith and their flag. There's no reason why the 1980s were any more evil or less than other generations, but gays, women and foreigners were the targets. So it's no wonder there was a counter-revolution that led to the so-called woke movement. These other counter-revolution movements were a reaction to the growth of moralistic unbelievers in the church, people who were so full of hate, so deprived of love, that they resisted the grace of God and gravitated to the commandments of God. We saw this in the bizarre persecution of homosexuals in the AIDS epidemic. The forced treatments and the abuse of homosexuals in the past were evil, plain and simple, and it's a mercy that those nightmares have ended. But many Christians want to go back to those days, sadly. If Christians followed Jesus and not the church, if Christians preached God instead of morality, then the counter-revolution would have been different. The assumptions of these Christian nationalists were wrong. America in the 1980s was not a Christian nation under attack from within. The church created the culture war and they, by ignoring the power of God to change lives, decided to offend people who their whole lives lived on the margins of society and were terrified by this persecution. Instead of love, they got hate and the worst vision of the church imaginable, an echo of the medieval days when church, churches murdered people for having a different point of view. So we're looking at the future of the church, the legacy of the church, and it is moralism and isolationism, the two key doctrines of the church today. In the 19th century, all churches offered was a Sunday service when no one spoke to each other. Sunday schools began in the 19th century not to tell kids about God, but to reinforce class values. Pew rentals were common. A rental of the pew by rich families was how churches made their income. Pre-war churches 
uh, would not have welcomed most of us unless we were part of the right class. Sectarianism was the norm. Sectarianism is the priority of one religious denomination over another, and we don't really have that uh, much these days, but in the past it was the norm. Catholics hated Protestants. Protestants hated Catholics. The Masonic Lodge ran the Church of England and the Presbyterian churches, and still does in places, though its power has long waned for various reasons. One of the reasons the Masonic Lodge has waned in its power and influence is the emancipation of the middle classes. The Lodge was sort of a, a way for many people to get ahead in society, but with the uh, erosion of the manufacturing mi- working class and the rise of the service-based middle class, uh, the incentive for involvement in the Lodge uh, waned and declined dramatically. If you don't know what sectarianism is, your church has probably lied to you about your religious history. Across the West, state churches ran nations and persecuted everyone else. America was an exception. There were a few other places. The 19th century saw at its twilight the end of the old prohibitions against nonconformists and Catholics, those who did not conform to the Church of England or the National Church. The 1870s was a formative time. Within decades, the spiritual privileges, sorry, the special privileges of the state churches were extended to the rest, including tax exemption. Charity status is not in the Bible, and churches need to pay tax, according to Paul. Romans 13, verses 6 and 7. It is obscene to hear churches condemn people for one or another uh, reason, but remain silent on their sin of not paying tax. Next time your minister tells you to pay tax, ask him why he doesn't. Tax exemptions are just part of this social isolationism. Many Christians today are so involved in their church that it's the only social expression they have. They have retreated to the church like monks to a monastery, The reality is the churches don't want you thinking for yourself and they don't want you to avail yourself of the power of God and the privileges of God given to every child of God. They're the ones in charge. They're the spiritual filter. They're the ones who claim to know the best. They also need someone to pay for this grandiose enterprise and churches for some reason are the only charities that are financially inept. Churches actively discourage personal faith by compelling people to invest their time, emotion and soul in the institution, thus losing their identity and embracing a kind of monastic identity. In the past, monks retreated to places of refuge in fear of their lives, for example from the Vikings. These days, churches gather their faithful together and they lie to them about a struggle against the world which they're deeply complicit in, such as their tax exemption scam. To gather as many people as possible to expand their monetary base, churches also corrupt the gospel message and they turn it down to be entirely about morality, not about the gospel. And you will know from your local congregation that there are many topics that the local minister will not preach on. Uh, One of the great topics that churches love to avoid is divorce because these days uh, many of the congregation members are divorced and they don't want to talk about it. But that's just one of many, many issues that churches avoid. Adultery is another one. Um, You'll very rarely, if ever, hear a sermon on adultery in church. You will very rarely, if ever, hear a sermon on practical Christian living. You will very rarely, if ever, hear a sermon on the war uh, and pacifism. You will very rarely hear a sermon on why um, COVID history was a time of tyranny because so many Christian ministers, pastors and priests supported the tyranny, supported the passports and supported the vaccine mandates.
Throughout Christian history, many people have been touched by God and they decide to follow Jesus. Maybe you have. Maybe you decided to follow Jesus and you went to church during COVID and you were discouraged by them. You were persecuted by them and they were out to get you and tell you to get vaccinated. Well, you're part of a, a broader movement, my friend, a historical movement that is uh, global and that it is profoundly historical. This has happened before and it will happen again. The church is always there to stop people of faith, to discourage them, to persecute them and to kill them. As I've said, there are many movements of God throughout history. There have been many uh, in all denominations, in all traditions, and they all have two things in common. They challenge the power and the money of organized religion and the church destroyed them. For whatever uh, problems we have in society, a secular society that we do enjoy is a free society because we can hold these views without the fear of ecclesiastical punishment and praise God for it. People listen to the Spirit in the past or they were inspired by creation or science like Galileo or they read the Bible in their own language like John Hus or William Tyndale. And they came to see Jesus anew and they decided to follow God in their own way during a time when religious freedom was illegal and many of those people died simply because they had a different view to the church. Christianity is a personal faith that is expressed in concert with others. Christians want to know about the identity, the actions and the words of Jesus. Jesus is their focus. You can always tell the fascists they always talk about morality and the law and sin. But not their sin, of course, the sin of others. Christians follow the same saviour, but they walk differently, they wear different clothes, and they have different attitudes. Christians are flesh and blood, and God loves our diversity. He loves our uniqueness. But the church is an institution. It is about conformity, rules, regulations, traditions, the mass, the missal, the book of common prayer, the sermon, the Bible study, the morning tea, the tent meeting, speaking in tongues. They're all initiation rites and they're all acts of conformity. This is not Christianity. It's just another form of spiritual slavery. Jesus didn't come to die so we can remain slaves to just another institution of human power and authority. So finally, Christendom is not Christianity. Most nations in Christendom did their best to destroy faith and what was left was the sterility of tradition wrapped in a flag. While it also has Christian nationalism, America was different, at least in the beginning. In America, for whatever reason, faith and democracy met together and flourished. There was no state church to kill or persecute those who did not conform because there was no ecclesiastical authority in the state to enforce it. Elsewhere, state churches have been murdering their way through history and given the opportunity they'd do so again. There was something special about the freedom that American Christianity afforded, especially between the War of Independence and the Civil War. This period was remarkable in allowing many to read the Bible and pursue a degree of equality and Christian democracy that we have not seen before or since. My friends, we have God. We have the Bible. We have the Spirit. We do not need to be taught by the priests or your pastor, for God teaches us. His Spirit leads us. And we grow in our grace and knowledge of God through faith and seeking to understand the Bible. Ours are the promises and the purposes of God and the Spirit is not controlled by the priest or the church. 
and he is not present in the magic show of the Mass. Churches refuse to let God be God. Why would he turn up to your local church if he's already present in all who have faith? Why would the Spirit come down from heaven at the order of the priest when he moves to highlight not the priest or his pretended power, but the Lord Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit is not the errand boy of the priest and the blasphemy of the Mass. He is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and God himself. The problem is that many Christians don't read their own Bible, and they have given up that authority of self-discernment to the priest, the pastor, and the minister, and so they continue to walk in darkness. Christians give that authority voluntarily and willingly to others. Where God says, asks us to walk in the Spirit, church uh, people who go to church, many people who are Christians who call themselves Christians who go to church, they don't walk in the Spirit. They hand that authority to others, and so they can be told what to do. The churches dare to intrude into God's domain. They presume to speak for God. They mimic the Spirit. They steal the goodness of God for money and power. Of course, churches betrayed us in COVID-19. They always do. It's a wake-up call to many. But if you're stupid enough and lazy enough to go back to the church that closed for three years, that took government money and kept asking you for it, and who showed that they didn't really care about you, then it's your fault from here on in. You only have yourself to blame. They betrayed you during COVID-19 and they will betray you again. Your spiritual well-being is not their concern. These institutions have only the concern for money and power, power over you, power over society, and they seek to control the Bible for their own personal purposes. Don't go to church, my friends. Follow Jesus instead. With God, his word and his spirit, you can work it out as you go along. You're not alone. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses urging you to run and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. So as the writer of the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. So let us run and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For we are the light of the world, and we follow Jesus who brought light to all men and women. Remember, freedom matters today because you are matter to God.